right, ready? I am ready. What is you doing? Oh, okay. All right, let me get my life together. Do I have all my links up? Yeah, I do. Okay. That'll be Let's good. Try this again. Yep. <laughs> How are you today, my friend? I am doing well. There's a swamp in my backyard. Oh. Y'all. Okay. I am in a neighborhood there's a lot of construction. This is a new build, all that jazz, and it is a fucking shit show. <laughs> there's about two or three inches of water from everybody. Like, it's two or three inches of water on my back patio that's now covered in a green film. And there's just sprinklers just shooting out like it's fucking, <laughs> what's it, Old Faithful in my back? <laughs> trash this week we can't even go outside the mosquitoes looks like louisiana down outside <laughs> or anyway anyway that's my <laughs> how are you today i am okay i'm tired as all hell so i'm trying to pet myself up so i don't sound like i'm a nap you are you're good you have somebody has to be the adult <laughs> <laughs> all right so you want to tell people where they can find us on the interwebs Sure, you can find us on the internet at betterthanthemovie.com or tweet to us, which is our preferred method. Um, are you on Twitter? Um, anyway. I can log into the Better Than The Movie Twitter. Great. Twitter at <laughs> Better Than TM. That's Better Than TM. At Facebook, um, facebook.com slash Better Than The Movie. And if you'd like to leave us a message, you can at our Google Voice number 210-816-2886. Okay, so please post something to Facebook. Our Facebook is not popping. <laughs> I should be better at logging into Facebook. That is like literally the only social media um, app that I have access to. I just go I in waves of Facebook. I go on waves of Facebook. Like I am really active, and then I just can't do it. And like, then I'm really active. But they've been. I think. Yeah, like I don't have a Facebook, like me, Jeanette. Right. Mm -hmm. Nicole has a Facebook, and it can get kind of interesting over there. Yeah. It's fun. It just, you know, whatever. I try to stop following stupid people so that the experience can be better. And it's working. Yep. yep. Definitely. They can be your friend without following you. Yeah. And it's a lovely, lovely thing. Yeah. Anyway, we've got news. News, news, news. This first thing is not really news. I just wanted it to, you know, for the record. <laughs> so this isn't new. Like the interview itself isn't new. But like it happened back in April or something. But um, it's in the issue of Document, I believe it's a magazine. Mm -hmm. um, so you can order it online and we'll have a link around here. Somewhere, you know, whatever it is Jeanette does with like. And basically, it is my fangirl fantasy. Um, literary giants Juno Diaz and Toni Morrison on their unwillingness to surrender. And I just love them. <laughs> so this was That's new all. to me. Um, uh -huh. And I did not read it. I skimmed it because I didn't have a lot of time today. But... Um, this, I'm going back to like really read it. 
um, because how can I not give myself over to a conversation between Juno and Tony? Like, what? So can I just talk about like his, because, okay, so the lady asked, how did you become familiar with the other's work? And this is why I'm such a, like, give your sons and get your men to read Toni Morrison. If you got to read it to them, make that a romantic thing. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, she asked me, like, how do you, do you remember when you first became familiar with the other's work? And, you know, says um, he started at Rutgers a few months after Beloved won the Pulitzer Prize. And the, his first class, they were assigned Song of Solomon, which is my absolute favorite book ever. Um, he had never heard of Toni Morrison, didn't understand anything other than what was the neighborhood had taught me. The book was Intellectual, Artistic, and Spiritual Singularity, was an intellectual, whatever. If I think of what defined my college life, it begins with that class and that book. But at first I resisted. I remember looking at the syllabus and asking my teacher, why are we reading so many women? <laughs> <laughs> the professor laughing her ass off told me to just read the books and ask her the same questions a couple of weeks later. Of course, I came back hat in hand, absolutely humiliated, ashamed of myself and aware of what would be asked of me at university. Um, I always think of her books in that way, too. And I know Toni Morrison is not, you know, she ain't no light lunch. <laughs> so... <laughs> it's hard to like just recommend her books, but if more men would read, I think it, it, her books are good, I think for men to read, especially to understand women, especially a book like Song of Solomon. Mm -hmm. Especially Song of Solomon, gosh. Yeah. And then she reminds me that she's 86. So, you know, she says, here goes. She read his, she read his short stories first and what attracted me to those stories or whatever I read, I have short-term memory loss. I'm 86 and so I get to forget things. <laughs> I think that was a joke. That was a joke, sure. Uh, was how startled I was by the language. It was so real, intelligent, and wild. There was the wildness as well as some deep intelligence and I didn't think the combination of the two was possible in recent literature. That is why I too like his work. <laughs> she gets me. We're the same. No. Um, but if you do not read their books, I'm not really sure why, but, um, she, they are, the things that they have to say about each other are kind of the things that I like about them about both. Them. Mm -hmm. He also says he's way too slow. Ultimately, I'm the slowest writer I know, and I don't, I mean, I hear you. <laughs> and Tomo tells us that she's been working on the book for about two years now. So we know that we have new Toni Morrison coming eventually. She said she's got about 80 pages in two years. I feel it. I feel y'all. I get it. Yo, some, you got you to gotta write at your own pace, man. You can't, um, I don't know, for him to say, like, he writes too slow. He's the slowest writer he knows. Um, mm -hmm. But that's just, that's just his pace. Yeah, but think of what so, he's writing. It makes you feel this like is what I'm saying. Like who it, write it, at this? It, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. The people that write. No, at I'm this just <laughs> <laughs> alphabetical <laughs> order. You first. Go. I was just gonna say that um, everything gets in a quick burn, um, especially when yeah. you think about some of the content. Um, and some of the ways in which they weave language, it takes a little bit longer to get that to be right. Because I just think about it, like, because the stories aren't necessarily overly complicated that they tell, 
but the manner right. in which they tell them is where the complication lies. So, yeah, I mean, these people are writing at the highest, highest level, you know, in their in their field. I mean, they're the, some of the best, and it feels good to know that. Okay, I'm not just stupid. Maybe if I really focused on something for her, <laughs> all things are. But like, it's it's kind of like, you know, they're great, but they're not. They're writing these books in, you know, six months. Great, you know. So, and then just giving themselves time to kind of play with the language. They talk about that here a little bit, constructing sentences and making it, making it their own. She says also, for those of you who go through I'm too old syndrome, which I just love. Oh, I was just story about to bring this up. Yeah, she says she didn't start writing until she was 39 because I didn't think that there was anybody around that was going to write what I was interested in. I thought maybe I'd write it myself. So let's just talk about how she said she didn't start writing until she was 39. Now that she was published at 39, she started writing. It took her about four or five years to get through that. I don't know math, mm -hmm. so what she was like mid forties, mm -hmm. then she had to try yeah, and find a publishing house to sign her and get her stuff out there. So you are never too old to start your passions. Well, is what I'm taking well, from that. Like, can you fucking imagine? Like, you just decide one day, like I'm 39. I'm sure it wasn't like this, but I'm like, you're 39 years old. I'm gonna start writing, and what you come up with is the bluest eye. Seriously. <laughs> but I mean, there's something to be said for that too. As I get older, I start to really appreciate authors who are, you know, as they get older, I mean, I, and this is no shot at, you know, young authors, but I think sometimes we kind of romanticize and celebrate those who are like 23, fresh out of college or whatever program. And they are out here winning all the awards and doing all the talks and that's cute and everything. But like, what is, you know, what is Britt Bennett going to do once she's lived another 10, 15, 20 years? Like how would the mothers have been different if a woman who was in her mid to late thirties wrote it? Mm -hmm. And not to say that it would have been better or worse, but there's something to be said no, for, for living. Yeah, there's definitely, I was going to say lived experiences and how they color. Yeah. Um, your art is definitely. Yeah. So yeah. she, she Sorry, also wrote this uh, really, this interesting paragraph I like um, where she's talking about, she always wonders what, I always wonder what this country would be like with no African or black influence. Yep. <laughs> Suppose they had never come here. Suppose there had never been the ne necessity for labor that pulled those slave ships. Suppose there had never been colonization of the Caribbean. Suppose the Europeans or the Brits had just done it on their own. What would the world be like? I can think of nothing that would probably be more sterile and more boring without the blood of the people who refused to not have their own art forms or their own language or their own way of being in the world. Whether it's West Indies or Mexican or just black people from all over, it sounds a little depressing. Can you think of what the music would be like without the influence of black musicians? Girl, she just talks like that. <laughs> she just talks like that. Like, I'm like, can you just write that story? <laughs> no, I don't want to. But you know, it would be interesting, like the reverse. Like, what would the world, what would this country be like if all the Europeans just said, screw this, we're going back to Peace Europe. Out. We're over it. And they just left all the slaves here. That would be a very interesting story to see how the evolution of the people would have been. That would be a really interesting story. Somebody should write that. Hmm. Yeah, somebody. <laughs> so I, um, 
you guys, this makes me really happy. And it's a much longer, much more thorough, in-depth conversation. I want to bring out one more point. Sorry. Um, The writer asked them about um, that guy who is allegedly in charge of our country right now. (laughs) Yes. And Toni Morrison says that she, (laughs) whatever uh, he comes up, she uh, has people open up the OED, the old Oxford, I mean, the, what is it called? The Oxford English Dictionary, um, Mm -hmm. and have them look up the definition of the word trumpery. And she -hmm. said that it describes him in every way. And so, of course, I was like, well, let me look this up. So um, first description says, attractive articles of little value or use, practices or beliefs that are superficially or visually appealing, but have little real value or worth, showy but worthless, delusive or shallow. And I was like, holy Good. shit. <laughs> she know. Words, words mean things, y'all. Ooh, she be knowing. So I just found that hilarious. But yeah, um, I'm going to put this article in the show notes so y'all can read it in its entirety. It's actually really um, super good. Uh, they both talk about uh, where they grew up and kind of how that colors their writing as well as um, just a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, so amazing. Good people, good minds. There's also, we never did, we discussed it before. There's also that story with Juno and Edwidge, uh, Danny Cat, that's also very, very good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I said that, I, that was very Midwestern, Danny Cat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, our next story is something about a wonderful, a long, long, long ass overdue project. Um, did you know that there is supposed to be a Joy Luck Club television series in the works? I did not know that until about 45 minutes ago. <laughs> so, um, the, the, the most interesting thing about this to me is Ellen DeGeneres has something to do with it. She's a producer, I guess. It's super random. I'm assuming that it, it must be like her production company that's pairing with Amy Tan. So this person, there's a site called Angry Asian Man. This came across my Twitter feed. Um, And they were talking about a casting call for this. That's what it was. It was a casting call um, that's seeking basically Asian actresses um, between the ages of 26 and 34 years old. So this one, they just wanted people to discuss. Okay, so this was the part that I found interesting. Um, They're seeking a professionally diverse, I don't, a professionally diverse group of Chinese American born women between the ages of 26 and 34 years old in the San Francisco area to discuss their lives as a Chinese American female in today's society with producers of the series. Um, so they're doing that, which I think is uh, in one way really cool um, to kind of get the perspectives of the people who the show is about, but it would also probably be really cool to just go ahead and hire some Chinese American writers and <laughs> and do that. But <laughs> what do Definitely. I know? Um, I had heard somewhere um, that this had been in the works before and something happened, but mm. I forgot the link to that other story I read about it. Um, but they had said that they were going to do this for a while. That book came out in 1989. Wow. Yeah, I think it would be a good TV show. I can see it. Oh, I could definitely see it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm interested to see 
if it actually comes to fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, because I feel like there's been like a lot of starting and stopping with the whole book adaptation to television series things lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there were a couple other books written by other authors um, that I know had been optioned and then now they're just sitting in purgatory. Mm-hmm. So I hope this one actually moves along. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it says is- that the this, this little casting call is happening on uh, the 20th of this month. So mm-hmm. hopefully it'll um, get the ball rolling on it for real. Yeah. I, I want, if you are like, and this is, you know, no ageism or whatever the hell, but if you haven't, if you're too young and you don't remember this movie or you weren't born when this movie came out or <laughs> I won't name no names. <laughs> um, if you have never read this book, do both of those things. Mm-hmm. Watch mm-hmm. the movie and read the book because the movie was actually really close um, to the book. They didn't stray too far away in most areas. Um, but it's, it's just a really, 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 really good book. And it really kind of turned me on to Amy Tan. She did it. She did that with the joy club. She really did. She really did. And I don't know. There's not enough Chinese um, American stories out. There aren't. On the television. On the television. And there is actually, well, not a ton, but quite a bit of source material from a few different Asian um, authors that I've read that would make for some good stuff. So Mm, That's cool. That's the story is cool. always interesting, especially if when you tie in like the immigrant experience and then how the Americanized kids relate to their immigrant parents. And love and then it. the mother daughter element. Oh yes, the, the mother, you know, live for enough mother daughter story. Right, 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 right. Um, okay, moving right along. The I just wanted to make everybody aware of a Kickstarter campaign by the Well-Read Black Girl, a Brooklyn-based book club and online community. Did you know about what? Well, I'm sure you did. Yeah. Um, it's written by a woman named Glory. I don't know how to pronounce her last name. I don't know if it's Edom or Edim. Okay. But um, I started following them on like Instagram a few, maybe a couple years ago. And mm-hmm. then... Um, Cause she started basically on Instagram and then she kind of like sort of blew up. She made the right, online right, book right, right. Club, real book club. Um, and she's been featured in a few places, like articles talking about the book club or whatever. And I know she hosts events in Brooklyn. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, um, somebody actually sent me the link to this Kickstarter and they've almost doubled um, their goal, which is pretty cool. Um, they still have 17 days to go. They wanted to raise 15,000. They're currently at um, just a smidge over 27,000. Um, but the conference sounds like it's going to be really cool. I wish yeah. I could go, but I literally oh, so cannot make any more trips this year. <laughs> I don't think we said what they're doing. So the W, what they're doing is um, they're hosting a writer's conference and festival. Um, now, I didn't help me. There are, is it? they want to have author panels, musical performance, networking sessions. Um, so this isn't like, you're not going to, you can go get books signed, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. And meet people and there'll be speakers and things like that. So your support of this project will allow them to make it better, pay for the venue, um, pay their people, which mm-hmm. is always a good thing. Production people, shipping people, hire instructors for the conference, invite special literary guests, provide honorarium, honorariums for the speakers, and ensure the event is low cost and accessible to the community. I won't be going in September to Brook, 
Brooklyn. This is where it's going to be, right? Yeah. But if you, I did want to just give them the support in whatever way uh, that we can. I mean, so, yeah, they, you know, it's a um, conference put together by Black women featuring Black women. Uh, some of the people that will be there are Tayari Jones, Shofave, Naomi Jackson, uh, Lashonda Barnett, Tiffany Yannick, Tia Williams, mm-hmm. Jenna Wortham, Doreen St. Felix, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And there's like so. the festival pass. There's a conference pass. The conference is more of the kind of industry professionals, authors, literary agents, and so forth. And then some workshops. But the the festival part is where you can pay like $25 just to meet the authors and mm-hmm. do that. And of course, you get a tote. Of course. It's a writer's <laughs> event. What do you expect? <laughs> they got your pins. They got pins. They got t-shirts. They got totes. The enamel pins. Yeah. Like, ooh. Yeah. So this looks lit. You guys support it if you can. Like Janessa, they're already where they need to be, but I'm sure they're not turning off no turning away no money. Heck no. So. And they can just I'm pretty sure the more money they get, the better they can make it. And they could probably expand on some of the people that they're bringing in. So that's awesome. Yeah, contribute. All right. What are we talking about next? Why literary journals don't pay? I thought this was interesting. Did you read this? I skimmed it. Okay. <laughs> I'm not a. Pro- I read it like a week ago, so okay. I don't really. Rem- I'm gonna try to remember everything about it. But basically, what I thought was interesting is, you know, in the, um, when people are doing sort of uh, freelance type writing or any type of writing, everybody's like, pay me an exposure. I can't mm-hmm. eat exposure, you know. And basically, this person is in charge of a, runs as the editor of a, literary journal of Slush Pile Magazine. His or her name is, oh, her name is M.R. Brenwin. Basically saying, I'm sorry we can't pay you for being a literary journal. (laughs) It's not that we're getting all of this money and we just refuse to pay. We just don't make any money. Um, And all of the money that we do get via grants or whatever goes into goes right back into the journal. So I thought it was funny how people, she's basically saying like when you submit things um, to literary magazines, the you know, so a thing she gets often is like, do you pay your contributors? And she's like, nope, only in mugs and tote bags. And people get kind of pissy about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but so do you read literary journals? No. Do you think <laughs> that they... Let me ask you this, and this is going to sound a lot shadier than I mean. I don't have any shade in my heart for once. But do you think that they serve a purpose beyond, like, increasing one's profile as a writer? Or um, so I don't know many people who are casual readers mm-hmm. who look to literary journals, right? Okay. I feel like most people who read literary journals are people who are like super enmeshed in the world of literature and are possibly, you know, they work in it or they write. Um, so I don't know that beyond exposure, there's much benefit. Cause I was thinking, Okay, so nobody, they have, they don't make money off of subscriptions, they say, right? And right. I, too, feel like most readers, and when, even if they, you know, read a lot, if you're not reading, like, high, high literature, or you're not, like, super 
crazy about short stories that you just don't, like you said, don't really look to them. Maybe if they open their doors to different types of writers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and maybe they would make some money so they could pay writers. Picking up what you're putting down here. I'm not saying select bad things. I'm saying when you are very selective in a way that doesn't make any sense to anybody but you mm-hmm, <laughs> and you're only doing like straight up you know guy in your MFA <laughs> um, short stories you know what do you expect? Yeah there's this one portion um, where it talks about uh, reading fees mm-hmm. which are I guess common um, as people submit stories, they have to pay to submit them um, for a large number of these literary magazines. And she says, it's fine to charge fees if you're targeting mostly white male writers who went to elite schools who have a financial safety net. It's not so great if you want to hear from a single mom working two jobs who writes poetry at night. Yeah. So if you recognize this, why? Uh, yep. Okay. There's something to be said for inclusivity too in this case because in trying to be so damn exclusive you ain't making no money. And then it was like here's some of the reasons why you should submit to literary journals even though you're not going to get paid. Okay. They hit to build up your writing credentials but then number two is to reach a maximum number of readers but you just said don't nobody (laughs) don't nobody Refusing to submit your work to 92% of literary journals li- limits your readership when Kindle Direct Publishing exists. Like, I <laughs> I'm not understanding this. I don't really understand. So I'm just going to say what I feel. Okay. Miami has so much appeal. <laughs> Sorry. People will get that. Anyway. Um, I hate you. <laughs> I'm slow today. <laughs> I just think that these things, oftentimes I will go to a site to like, okay, I'm going to read, get this literary journal, or I'm going to try this literary journal or whatever, go to the bookstore and pick up some. And I have just decided that it's really just kind of a, like a, like it's fight, like it's an exclusive, like the country club of writers who, <laughs> write high, what they perceive to be high quality, mm-hmm. high brow, you know, it's really, yeah. yeah. And it's just, and that's how the, that's what the perception is. And I think if maybe they work to change that perception, then maybe they would have more subscribers because, because if get- you pick up something so many times and you start to feel like this isn't, I'm not, I'm not their intended audience, then you just stop reading it. Mm-hmm. And I get the looking whole, for it. the necessity of exclusivity to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. But I feel why? like but I feel like for some of these, I'm like, okay, you do realize that you're harming more than you're helping your cause, right? Right. And then sometimes I, when you do read them, it's like this sounds like something they would have put in Glamour magazine back when they used to put. <laughs> fiction and glamour. And this ain't even all that. I don't know why y'all being so picky. 
it's very it's very like I don't care because if you don't have any money to pay your writers, it's because of you. This is something you can fix. It's something you can change. And if anybody is asking you to submit money to get published for their publication, you should just take that money and mail it to me at (laughs) (laughs) one, two, three, you got holes (laughs) Avenue. I (laughs) I will put that shit up on Kindle. (laughs) <laughs> and then all the people you want to read it will read it. Yes. Anyway, that's it. I just want your perspective. Do we have yeah. time for this, or we wasted enough time on news? Um, we can just go so ahead. we can uh, let's talk about the last thing, and then yes. the next thing. Gotcha. And then we can oh go into gosh. the show topic. Yeah. Okay. Escanalo. Um, <laughs> Okay, don't laugh. <laughs> oh my gosh, you did this. You realize you did this. All right, serious face on. Okay. Oh jeez. Okay. <laughs> okay, guys. Something ain't right with the girl, y'all. Um. So sad I'll tell news. Y'all why? Just okay. the sad news that I cannot find any sort of um, confirmation outside of social media on, but I'm assuming that it must be true because some. Reputable people have said it. Um, nevertheless, it be okay. All right. Um, Rosalind McMillan, the sister of Terry McMillan, has passed away. Um, she passed away, I think, yesterday at the age of sixty-three. Uh huh. Um, and you know, she was also a writer. She wrote like one, two, three, four, five, seven books. Um, the most recent was a thinly veiled. Um, telling of the story of two sisters who were sort of at odds with each other, um, which really read like it was low key um, autobiographical. So, we ain't the Brontes. Yeah, we ain't the Brontes. You got it. Yeah. So, listen, we talked about that book in episode one of the early ones. Two, three, four. Yeah. She was born in 1932. This is not right. No, 53. Something on a website. Okay. So first of all, Google Rosalind McMillan. There's a lady that pops up that I'm pretty sure ain't supposed to be her. (laughs) Maybe it is. Maybe it is. But then it says... Oh, this ain't her. (laughs) Oh, what the heck? Hello? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you for a second. But that, I just did, did my Googles and it was definitely not her. Okay. I was like, this is not, this doesn't appear to be the right way. Okay. I see her now. <laughs> well, on her Amazon page, it kind of does look like her. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Where makes she rest? Um, yeah. Rest in peace. You know, peace to Terry and the rest of the fam uh, during this terrible time. And, you know, just wish them all well. But I did want to mention that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me just... God forgive me. Okay. Um, then I wanted to talk to you really quickly about Goodreads because I think I have some strong feelings and I thought... <laughs> better place to talk about it yes okay better better than the movie is therapy (laughs) Goodreads is really starting to stress me out 
Okay, why? Part of, Go on. Part of that is my own fault because I don't keep up <laughs> with, with uh, managing my Goodreads account. Okay. But part of it is because of features on here that they need to edit. I'm just not getting what I need from Goodreads anymore. Most of the time, I get, maybe it's the people I'm following, but I would like to be able to easily unfollow people. But you can't and find out how to freaking unfollow them? Yeah. And so, I mean, I, yeah. And so (laughs) I see, sometimes I see things I don't want to see, like, okay, you give somebody a chance, you follow them, and then you start seeing the things that they read and you're like, okay, we ain't the same. And you want to get rid of them because I usually use my feed, not because I'm so much interested in what everybody else is reading. Well, I am, but I'm doing it for the purpose of picking up other things. Like there are a few people like yourself, um, maybe Ashley's on a, um, Nakia um, and a few other people who if they're reading something I know I'm probably going to be interested in it too mm-hmm. and so I read it in that way but there are some people I've been trying to get off my uh, Goodreads feed for the last four or five <laughs> years and I can't figure it out <laughs> and that may be my own deficit but I just my own deficiency but I feel like it should just be like if I go to your profile right up under your picture it should be an unfollow button there really should be. And I also think that they need to do a better job of um, suggesting friends who read similarly um, because that would be helpful to make the experience better. Agreed. I also think 100%. the Good Read Choice Awards are racist. Trash. Trash. They are. Because I'm racist. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Wait, I got one more. Go ahead. Oh, the half stars. So, you know, that has been my crusade since the dawn of time. (laughs) Them and this half star. Do we talk about this? Did I tell you why they refuse to do half stars? I don't remember if we did. Okay, so in short, it's because Netflix tried it and it didn't work for them, so we don't want to do it. Netflix don't even fucking have stars anymore. <laughs> they just got thumbs up, thumbs down. Dude, yeah. Like, they wrote this whole, like, long blog post on the Goodreads blog um, because people kept, whenever they would ask for things that people wish they would improve, half stars always comes up. And they just wrote this long, drawn-out post about how Netflix tried it and how Netflix went from 10 stars to 5 stars. And they tried to give the half-star thing to work, but then it just ruined all the algorithms and all this shit. And I was like, okay, girl, Netflix has nothing to do with books, so what are we even talking about here? Like, just implement the goddamn half-stars. Yeah. It's not that hard. Right, and if it don't work, then you say, you know what, this isn't working. But don't just be like, oh, they tried it. Because then the stupid part about it is the averages, like if you look at the average, they're not. <laughs> they're not perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that. And then the other thing I would like to complain about, <laughs> since I'm in the complaining business, is that, um, no, 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 I have a different question. No, 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 no. The thing I want to complain about. It looks like nobody works at Goodreads <laughs> because <laughs> they don't update anything worth updating. Also, like you said, like the stars, like somebody can develop that and work on it or beta, put it in beta or something, mm-hmm. however that works. All of these notification circles off to the side, I don't know what that's for. I don't think very many people are chatting 
on Goodreads. They need to update the groups. It would be nice if they did like how Apple Music did where they um, curated some of the lists themselves. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because the, li- the lists, the the lists are, are out trash. of control. They're trash. Because <laughs> people just add things to them and then people can up or down vote them depending on how much they like them, which I feel mm-hmm. is not relevant to anyone's interest then, or purpose. Then they need to make they need to make good reach junior because I understand that there are grown people that listen to YA, but it's fucking out of control. I'm like I go to the books about uh, romantic relationships, and ninety percent of them are young adult. I don't want to. I don't care. Full and of reviews with gifts. I love gifts so much. Get me. Don't get me wrong. Like GIF is probably like my third language after English and Avian. However, I don't need a review that has no words and it's just like 16 gifts of fucking low from Laguna Beach. What the fuck? This makes me so angry because I'm like, what is the purpose of this? Tumblr exists. Go do this there. Yes. That's why I said they need Goodreads Jr. You know, take that shit over there. Then (laughs) Then they got the deals. I don't really understand. They're so sporadic. They never make sense. They're always books that I've read before. And if you go to the actual deals page, it's just zillions and zillions of I don't know what. And then you go nothing like that anybody's reading, just, you know. Then also the other thing I don't like, I mean, that they need to update is um, is the giveaways. (laughs) <laughs> because I don't like them. Because, <laughs> you know, like, do something else. Um, or at least make the pool smaller. Like, once we get to 100 people, <laughs> it's right, we're shutting this off. Yeah. But that's one of the reasons I don't use it anymore. I use it to, to like, if I'm not remembering a book, you know, if I need to remember yep. a title or author or look up, I'll do it for that reason. But I don't, now I don't even go back and update it because why? I mean, when I finish a book, I do. But otherwise, I don't really go to it. Sometimes I forget about it, and that's their fault. And didn't Amazon buy this? Yeah, Amazon is the owner. The reads? Yep. Uh, they need to come tend this yard. And then the 27th, I think people do the reading challenges, and they need to do more with the reading challenges mm-hmm. because I think that's a popular feature. That they don't yeah, do it's probably their most popular feature, to be honest. Um, that's the one I see get the most traction. Um, beyond people just adding books to their lists. Like, I don't see a lot of group interactions necessarily or anything like that. And I don't like the ads in my um, feed. I know they're necessary, but I don't like them. Yeah, I get annoyed with, um, and Facebook does this a lot. I mean, yeah, Facebook, Instagram, like, you know, they're conjoined where you're scrolling your news feed and it's not your friend anymore, but it's stylized to look like it's your friend. Like, I don't like that yeah. sort of ad. Like, no, girl, just give it off on the side where I know an ad is coming and I'm okay with it. I don't want it clogging up my feed like that. Um, I don't know. I wish I, they had done more with groups, too, because I know there was one. I know there's one really kind of popping um, book group reading group on that's like works really heavily out of goodreads and i tried to join it once but it was too confusing um but i think that they could have done more with their groups to make them simpler or promoted them more or something but i don't know yeah anyway um i haven't 
used Goodreads regularly, probably since like mid 2016. Mm -hmm. um, I just, and the, <laughs> ironically, it's when I had to start using it as an author. <laughs> oh, so that was my other question. I kind of liked it as an author. Like, I felt like it was useful to see who was reading your book and then, oh, yeah, like, yeah. what other type of books they were reading and just another place to get, you know, reviews sort of a, and stuff. I yeah. like it. I, I like um, the interactiveness of it. And like you said, I like the fact that you can kind of see, like, the trends among your readers mm -hmm. um, to get a better mm -hmm. feel for, you know, your audience. Um, mm -hmm. So I like it better as an author than I do as a lay person. Yep, same as these. Anyway, that was Grabbing with Tamika. <laughs> next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, right. but tweet us, tweet us your thoughts about Goodreads because Please, I know some of y'all I follow, some of you guys that are listeners, I do follow you on Goodreads and you guys seem to be having a better time on Goodreads than me. So tell me what I'm doing wrong. That's it. Okay. That's it. So, do you want to tell them what we're trying to do here? Yeah. So, um, you know, we try to keep things fresh around here in Better Than Movieville. And so, we were talking about shows. And I was like, well, what if we did a show on, like, regional reading? Tamika was like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> so, it was like, if we essentially um, do a show where we talk about books from a specific region, um, be it in the continental U.S. or abroad, um, and we kind of break down uh, those books, what they're about, um, what makes them unique um, in their sort of uh, involvement of whatever region it is, and so on and so forth. And so for our first region, we have decided to talk about the left coast, the west coast, California, Yay. Washington, Oregon, Arizona. Books out there in you Pacific Coast time. Nevada. Yeah. Like you know what? We should have just went ahead and included West Texas. Like See, okay, so I was like on the fence about Texas. Huh. Damn yes, because okay. depending on the part of the Texas, I know some people in East Texas think they live in the South, and then people in the South are like, <laughs> don't live in the South, you live in Texas. And then West right. Texas, yeah. So Texas, we're going to have to get y'all on another episode. I feel like we could probably Texas do a whole be episode. <laughs> so, so how did you find this? How did you, what did you, so, what are we doing? So, quick story time. What did you think? So... Mm -hmm. When I proposed this idea to you, I immediately started crafting a little list at work. Today, mm -hmm. I was in the middle of my workout at the gym, and I realized I left my list at work. <clears throat> I had to craft a brand new list at home. That's all good. That's all right. So some of the books that were on my list previously are on this second list, but then others, I actually trolled the site that we were just talking about was so trash, Goodreads, to kind of jog my memory of some books that I've read. And I'm like, oh, I think that was set in California. And I did a bit more digging, and I was like, oh, yeah, it was. And so I would add it to the list. All right. So let me tell you, this was very, very hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> I started to feel like, you guys, 
have I told you all the books that I've read? Like, <laughs> Yo, so that was my other thing. Trying not to speak about books that we've already talked about in and some way. Really hard and I on... did not succeed in that. At least three of the books on my list are ones that we've done. And the thing is, we've done this show for two years and our biggest... Um, you know, things that people tend to like about the show, which is kind of our list and our, is also like, it causes us to go through our own personal, like our red list pretty quickly. Cause we're doing what, five or six books, you know, each, mm-hmm. <laughs> per, you know, per episode, per episode. And we've been doing this, we've been doing this for two years. So sometimes we say all that to say, it might be we're just going yeah, and we're and also, you know, assuming you know everybody has not been listening to, to us from the beginning and hasn't heard every episode, right. so we're gonna try to keep that from keep that in mind. But it was really hard because I was like, they don't think these people don't really read; they just keep talking about the same and books over and over. So well, this is supposed to be books that we've read that we really like. I do have some that I haven't read, but I are on my TBR. Okay. Um, and then I wanted to talk about. Well, there's one that I mean I think is just everybody has read, but I just think we should still point it out as a really good book with the West Coast setting. Okay, so um, you know what I did find in trying to find oh. books from the West Coast that? is that apparently I read a lot of books about California. <laughs> Do you? Because I was struggling. Yeah. Okay. I so have- let's. I have so many books that are either set in LA or San Francisco, like in my red list on um, uh, what's it, Goodreads. I was like, holy crap. Okay. <laughs> you also have such a way better memory than I do. Because I'm like, I don't remember what that book was. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's get started. So people uh, get out your pad and pen and write some of these down. Or your notes right. app if you are in this millennium. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I will go because my list, I'm sure, is going to be lamer than yours. Okay. The first one I could think of, like right off the top of my head, was The Lincoln Lawyer. Have you read this book? <laughs> I have not read that book, but I wanted to. So The Lincoln Lawyer is actually is also a movie. Um, it is by... Um, a writer named Michael Connolly. And I wrote about this book because there was a movie with uh, Matthew McConaughey and Ryan Felipe in it. And I was like, okay, I like them. I'm going to go see this. And I didn't, re- I didn't realize it was based on a, um, a book. So the movie cover is like Matthew, you know, the book cover is from the movie. It's like Michael Mc- or Matthew McConaughey sitting on a car. I was like, okay, let me check out the book. I didn't realize that Michael Connolly was like a, um, you know, like a, a big guy in, uh, not trade paperback. Do I want to say that? No, not trade paperback. What's the other kind? Um, uh, mass market. The little one. Mass, mass market. market. Um, he's uh, like a mass market um, paperback. Titan. He's good with, uh, what's his name? Like a Patterson, but not the same necessarily the same genre. Like you know your Walmart book section books. Anyway, 
I didn't know any of that going into the book, and I'm kind of glad I didn't because I think I would have been stank. <laughs> I'm just being honest. And I ended up really, really, really liking it. It was like really good and twisty and um, interesting. And um, the movie was okay, but you should check it out. Basically, it is about my Mickey Holler, and Mickey Holler. There's actually a series, the Mickey Holler series, by Michael. Connolly and Lincoln Lawyer's number one. He's called the Lincoln Lawyer because he does a lot of his work out of the backseat of his Lincoln town car. Um, and he's in Los Angeles. And basically he gets this um, case, like a Beverly Hills playboy is arrested for attacking a woman he picked up in a bar and Holler chooses to defend him. And um, there's just some twists and turns where this person is not who he appears to be. The <laughs> client isn't. Um, and so there are a zillion plot twists and I can't really talk too much about it without giving it away, but it's actually a really, really good story. And it kind of takes place all over Los Angeles. And so there's a lot of, it's one of those books where, you know, setting is really important. And, you know, one point they're downtown Los Angeles and they're in Beverly Hills and they're over here. And so, you know, the, um, the city is a character in the book as well. So if you're looking for something that's kind of a mystery thriller, um, with a, a lot of twists and a good, you know, kind of light. I don't want to say light because it wasn't like it was, you know, cheesy or anything like that. It was pretty good. Mm-hmm. You should give it a try. Michael Connolly, The Lincoln Lawyer. All right. So I'm going to kind of follow in your footsteps here um, and talk about a sort of crime fiction D novel that I am pretty sure that I have mentioned this woman like four times on the show previously, um, but that's because I am new to standing for her. So um, the author's name is Rachel Housel Hall. She writes uh, detective novels set in LA um, that follows a black woman detective named Eloise Norton. And um, the first book in the series is called Land of Shadows. Uh, which is probably my favorite one of the three that are out so far. There's a fourth one coming out this summer that I think is going to be pretty interesting because it involves like uh, the church Ooh. and a murder and no, we things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about that. Uh, um, so uh, what I loved about this book is like Tamika said um, about the Lincoln Lawyer is that uh, LA is sort of a character um, in the book as well. Um, I think that it's pretty cool when authors are sort of able to um, describe the setting in a way that is not so much as the wallpaper was peach with tiny purple flowers dyed in it, you know, like the boring kind of way, but it's rich enough where it allows you to sort of immerse yourself into um, where the characters are, whether or not you've actually ever been to that place before. Um, I lived in LA for like 37 seconds. So it was cool when she would mention like particular intersections and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, okay. I kind of remember where that is and stuff like that. Right. Um, but uh, Lou Norton is a mess and half. Um, her personal life is in shambles, but her professional life is always on point. So um, yeah, I would highly recommend Land of Shadows by Rachel Houser Hall. I need to read more crime thrillers because I actually really enjoy them when I do read them. It's just not like I don't go to that. Then I go to like, yeah, yeah, 
but it's I never I'm very rarely disappointed and those are books I usually get through pretty quickly. So as someone who has had good experiences with the genre, I should support it more. <laughs> um Okay. My next one is lame. Okay. What was I gonna say? <laughs> it is lame. It's okay, so pretty much you guys all know that um my uncle Eric Jerome Dickey is the man. <laughs> so, and, listen, can you get out of my brain? All of his books are <laughs> are um, most all of them, except for the ones that are like all around the world, or you know, most of them are in Los Angeles. Um, and so I had a heart. I was like, I can't go on there and just list all Eric Jerome Dickey books. They're all, they're all my favorites. <laughs> so I um, chose one that I really like. And I think I ended up, I never read this one again. I still have it. I, I think I ended up liking it so much because I was living in the area um, at the time. It's Naughty or Nice. It was actually a holiday book. Yeah, I remember that. Which I usually don't pick up holiday books, but I think the cover didn't look holiday, so I didn't realize. Because you know how sometimes, like fiction writers will do like a holiday book and it'll have Christmas trees and shit on the cover, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not that kind of <laughs> festive. So, <laughs> so but this one had like he had those kind of new new covers that were real sleek and nice. Anyway, I didn't realize it was a Christmas book until after I started reading it. <laughs> and it didn't matter because I was reading everything he put out. And so this one takes place in San Diego. And it's basically about three sisters, Frankie, Livy, and Tommy. One of the sisters meets a guy and he's like whining and dining her and taking her all over San Diego. And then, But she lives in L.A. And then it comes to find out he like wants her to have a threesome. And he chooses like this... Um, his ex-girlfriend or side chick or whatever. And she's like a stripper and her name was Panther and Panther shows up in another air drum mm-hmm. later. Doesn't it start in Naughty or Nice or am I old and my brain's decrepit? I believe it does start in Naughty or Nice. Cause okay. what she showed up in like Liar's Game or something? Yeah. Yeah. Something. No, it wasn't Liar's Game. It was a different one. She was like a major character. Maybe it was Liar's Game, but this one, um, Panther was a stripper and this guy kind of sweeps off her feet and she kind of goes back and forth with, okay, maybe I'm into it. Maybe I'm not. That was kind of the naughty, I think. And then the other sister was like, there was a neighbor. The other sister had something go on with her face. Like maybe she had a scar or something. I don't remember that. And the neighbor had like a daughter, the youngest sister, the neighbor had a daughter and it was about like him and her and the daughter deciding they was going to be in a fan, a relationship. I might have like five different books here, but anyway, (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm right. Um, (laughs) The characters are all starting to run together, but I'm pretty sure I'm right. There's like one of the sisters is dating, like she's interested in the neighbor, but she has an ex-boyfriend who she's kind of still tying things up with, but the daughter really likes her. The neighbor's daughter really likes her and she ends up kind of falling for the dad. That is definitely in this book. I'm sure ninety <laughs> percent. Anyway, I love that whatever. You go I'm... on, you get less and less confident about whether or not you're talking about the. You're like, it's by Eric Jerome Dickey. Just read his uh, bibliography. 
all of them. But no, the reason I liked whatever book I was talking about is because it named all of these places in San Diego that I was going to like every other day. Mm, like, okay. oh yeah, I go there. Yes, I shop there. Oh yes, it is nice over there. So it was really cool. I'm pretty sure, guys, I'm talking about the right book, but something about the description on Goodreads made me second guess myself. <laughs> so <laughs> like, pause. We are professionals here. I'm sure I have the right book. Okay. <laughs> Your turn. All right. So the next book um, that I chose is called Shake Down the Stars by Renee Swindle. And it is set in Oakland. And it follows this woman, uh, Piper Nelson, whose life is in shambles. Um, that is a theme. <laughs> Running theme. through almost all of my choices. <laughs> We'll talk offline, friends. <laughs> but uh, her, um, so like, um, in this book, like her sister's on like the cusp of getting married, and so there's like the wedding planning with that, and her mother is, I think her mother is married to like a televangelist. Yes. Um, Sign me up. And, and they are essentially like paying Piper dust, um, and so she is damn near on like uh her way to like a midlife crisis or whatever um and so the book essentially um develops with her sort of taking stock of her life figuring out where she is and where she wants to be and kind of how she maneuvers along that journey um and so yeah it was a really good read uh renee swindle i think is an oakland native as well um, so you could tell that these weren't places that she had just heard of. Right. Um, when she describes like the setting in the city, she talks about like Lake Merritt and you know people doing picnics and stuff there and everything. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a really good read. Um, I, I read it maybe like three or four years ago, so I'm a bit fuzzy on all the details. I do remember it being a bit funny. Um, it does have a romantic element, but it's not a romance novel necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, but such, I would classify it more as women's fiction than I would as romance. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, yeah, but Shake Down the Stars by Renee Swindle. Go read it now. Shout out to Oakland and the Bay Area, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, this next one. <laughs> Is a book I have not read in a long time, but I remember reading it and it like stuck. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those you're like, that one stuck with me. That was really, really good. Anyway, it is called The Bean Trees. The Bean Trees by Barbara. Ken is it King Solver? King Solver. Yep. I always overthink that <clears throat> pronunciation. <laughs> um, but basically, it's a book. It's her first book, which I didn't realize that until. I started looking it up for this because I think I was much younger when I read this book, like okay. super young. Uh, not super young, but like high school, middle school. Uh, anyway, this book is about a girl named, is it a girl? Don't remember. Anyway, they basically, it's Taylor, I think is her name. I think I read that right. They leave, she leaves home, travels less, west, and she ends up picking up like, um, a child <laughs> and I don't mean like she stole somebody's baby like the baby or the kid was abandoned it wasn't a little it wasn't like a little baby like 
I'm, if I remember right, the, baby, the kid was like six or seven. And okay. the kid's name was Turtle. <laughs> um, so Taylor decides she's going to care, take care of this kid. And so basically it just follows them across um, their little journey. And it mostly takes place in Tucson, Arizona. It's a book about like um, motherhood. I remember it's it, not motherhood so much as like it does. You don't have to be somebody's biological mm-hmm. mother um, in order to be their mother and to care about them and to take care of them and stuff. And you know they were not rich, so it deals with poverty and things like that. I'm not doing it a very. Uh, <laughs> I'm not making anybody want to read it, but I just thought this was a book that everybody read. Apparently, it's not. Um, but I think people should check it out. What's um, the name of it again? The Bean Trees. The Bean Trees. Yeah. And it's just basically like, kind of, yeah, they're just wandering around. Of course, the child's been abandoned. And, you you know, um, Taylor decides she's going to take this baby with her to wherever. But they need to put down roots and establish a family. And they get, there's other characters that are introduced that kind of join. And have you ever read, like, Where the Heart Is? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, it's, it's kind, kind of like that, that same book. Oh, okay. Yeah, where it's, except this isn't her child. It's just right. like kind of building and making her own family. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's pretty good. Um, and I picked that one because it takes place in Tucson. And I could not think of another book that I'd read right off that uh, took place in Arizona until I started thinking about an American classic. <laughs> I'm waiting to excel took place in Arizona. Yes, sure did. Sure did. And I worked valiantly to not put that on my list. Not because it is not a good book, but because. I didn't want y'all to think I was lame. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just realized that every book left on my list I've talked about on this show previously. (laughs) Okay, that's cool. Can we talk about... um, talk about them anyway and we could just go quickly yep yeah so um the next book is actually not just one book it's a quadrilogy uh oh even a word um it's an indie pub author um and i talked about this book when we talked about when we had our conversation about any publishing, then I gave some suggestions for people to read. Um, but uh, the series is The Nobles of Sweet Rapids. Uh, the author is Tay Russ, T-E Russ. Um, and the books are set in a town called Sweet Rapids, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And it follows four siblings who are quadruplets, Isaiah, Ivy, Ian, and Izzy, I think. <laughs> and they, um, they're known as the noble quad. So like they are pretty much um, child geniuses. So like they all graduated high school early. They are all like musically inclined. Um, some of them go on to uh, move away from their hometown of Sweet Rapids and do some pretty major things. Like Ivy becomes like a travelogue sort of person. Um, Ian is a chef. My brain is high-grade trash. So uh, Izzy is a clothing designer. And 
I can't remember what Isaiah does. And that's really terrible. Nevertheless, um, they all end up coming back home, however, um, because their family owns uh, a hair and skincare, um, natural hair and skincare company. And so each of the siblings comes back home after the death of the patriarch of the family um, in order to help run different facets of the business. And so uh, with each book, you get the introduction of that quad, um, what they've been doing, what they are doing once they come back home. And then um, they're all romance. And so they all have a love story in them. Um, but I chose these books, one, because I don't think we read about small town black folks a lot. Um, I feel like a lot of books are written around big cities and cosmopolitan areas. Um, you'll get with some Southern writers, um, the small town aspect, but it's more of the rural small town aspect thing. Mm -hmm. um, but this just seems like a, you know, a regular, regular schmegular, like small town. Like there is, there was no um, abject poverty or anything like that, which I kind of feel like we kind of fall into um, with some of the Southern, Southern writing about smaller towns. Mm -hmm. um, I also love the fact that the, what the people did is unique um, with, you know, their family sort of uh, creating and developing the natural uh, hair care and skin care lines. Um, oh, and yeah. I thought it was interesting that, because I kind of feel like when people do like, oh, somebody left their small town to go to the big city to do X, Y, and Z, and then they have to come back home. It's always a story of, oh, there was a failure in some way. And so then that's why they're sort of back home licking their wounds. Um, but tape really turns that on its ass. And it's like, oh, they're coming back home because their mother needs to support. And this is a way to help boost their company and make it even better than it currently is. Um, so I like that there wasn't that whole feeling of, you know, like, a failure in order to start again. It was just like, nope, you know, we were out here being dope and now we're about to come back home and be even doper. Right, right. Um, so, yeah. So that's that. Uh, the Nobles of Sweet Rapids. Uh, do not ask me for specific titles because I just told y'all that my brain is high-grade trash. But the author is Tay Russ, T-E-R-U-S-S. -S. So if you look her up on any of your places where you look up book things, you should be able to find her. This was up. Um, okay, so my next one. Okay, the next the ones I have are one is an author because I couldn't really. We just talked about her, and then there's a few books. There's a, a couple of books of hers that I liked, and so I didn't want to pick just one. Okay, but Amy, but Amy Tan. Mm -hmm. A couple of her books uh, take place in San Francisco. Uh, the one that I like the most is uh, Joy Luck Club, obviously. I think that's her best book. Her books can be kind of... Hmm. <laughs> uh, heavy. Not heavy, but just... The, the, she, her writing style can be a little... Cumbersome? Yes. And so, <laughs> um, but once you kind of get used to it, it's actually, she's actually, it's fine. Um, there's that one. And then another one by her that I really enjoyed was The Bone Setter's Daughter. Have you read The Bone Setter's Daughter? I have not. 
you have not. So the bone setter's daughter is another one that I read a while ago. So I'm just going to go ahead and let Goodreads help me through this tumultuous time in my memory. Um, the book is about a girl named Ruth and her mother. Her father is dead. And it's a mother-daughter, you know, we ain't that cool, <laughs> that kind of complicated <laughs> mom-daughter relationship. And so her mother ends up giving her some of her, like, I think it's journals, her writing. I think it was her journals. Um, and, a, and so it talks about, then she learns about her mother's past. And she learns about her mother's past in her village and, um, like, her family, her upbringing. She had an aunt who was, um, the, they know her as the bone setter. And I think it has something to do, it has something to do with like matchmaking kind of, um, or something along those lines. Anyway, all of these things kind of happen over in her mother's village that lead back up to Ruth's modern life. And so she basically learns things about her mother's past that help influence the way she chooses to live her life, you know, way she looks at love or whatever so it's kind of like if i remember correctly it's kind of like um the joy luck club except that same mother daughter kind of how we think our mothers are one way and then you learn what they've been through and then it kind of okay i can appreciate now why you call me every 10 seconds you know what i'm saying yep, <laughs> so yep. um the reason i picked this because it's you know the modern life like ruth lives in san francisco so but amy tan has a couple of books like that i just imagine that's where she grew up and so she kind of just writes what she knows um all of her books are not like that though but you know <laughs> there's a there's a theme there's a clear theme um, yeah um what's the other okay your turn i guess all right so another book that once again we're kind of on the same wavelength um mm -hmm. Uh, to traveling through the Asian American stories, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, it's um, a book called The Buddha in the Attic by Julie Otsuka. Okay. Huh? And this book uh, tells the story of a group of young Japanese women who um, were brought to San Francisco as picture brides. Um, and it's sort of, uh, it's, I guess a novelized collection of short stories um, right. because it, it kind of um, like they're tied all together, but they're also sort of, you can take them piece by piece. Um, and so it tells you, you know, about their journeys from Japan to San Francisco. And then, you know, once they get into San Francisco, um, you know, them adapting to a being in America to being someone's wife, um, and then just, you know, there's the family dynamics of once they have been married and they start to have children and trying to raise these American children and still wanting them to have um, some of that Japanese culture, but their kids wanting to be too Americanized. Um, and it's just, I always find that um, Asian immigrant stories are always uh, sort of, um, I'm trying to think of the, the right way to phrase this, heartbreakingly beautiful. And I don't know mm -hmm. if that is kind of like fetishizing it, 
but I always feel like um, what a lot of Asian American writers do very well um, is sort of painting a very vivid picture of the pain that exists in the Asian parent in trying to reach or bridge the gap between the Asian heritage for their American born kid. Mm -hmm. um, and it's always, you know, such a sad thing to know that the, the idea of being American makes some people shirk their actual culture when America is supposed to be this whole melting pot of cultures. And that's the thing that makes this country great is because we're all so different and diverse and da, da 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 But in order for these kids to fit in, in mainstream society or whatever, um, they often feel like they have to deny a part of themselves to feel like they belong. And so the way that that's sort of portrayed in a lot of these books is always just like a gut punch to me. Yeah. So, gotcha. yeah. So uh, The Buddha in the Attic by Julie Atsuka. All right. All right. Um, I don't have any more. I think uh, one that I... Well, when I was looking for books, I saw one that was in Oakland. I didn't know. Why didn't I know Danielle Smith wrote novels? Yes, two. I'm a dork. Um, she's got one that I really wanted to look at called um, More Like Wrestling. More Like Wrestling, Page and Pinch. That was a really good book. You liked it? Yes. All right. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, let's read it together. Well, I'm not going to read it. We don't have to read like, it. Right, right now. <laughs> but um, it's about two sisters named Pinch and Paige uh, coming of age in Oakland in the 1980s. Um, is she from there? Yes. Okay. Yeah, she's from so, the area. Of the sisters, Pinch is quiet and observant and Paige louder and wilder, by, but faltering under her facade. The sisters are teenage refugees from a violent home living alone in a faded Victorian mansion where they survive by creating a closed world centered around each other and their new friends. And it's a makeshift family of hoodlums and ne'er-do-wells. No, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> As the sisters grow up, grow from girls into women, they are confronted with a series of surprising reversals, death, imprisonment, and just maybe love that forces them to come to grips with the truth about their choices, their friends, and their tangled roots. So I was like, I didn't know this was a thing. I'd like to read it, and I'm going to read it. It's called More Like Wrestling by Danielle Smith. Yeah. Admittedly, I am a Danielle fangirl because I lived for her as ESE and Vibe. I followed her for quite a while in her journalism career, and so... I actually found out that she wrote that book like six years after it was pubbed. Um, but I read it yeah. and really, really enjoyed it. Not sooner than me. I'm 10 years <laughs> late to the party. So, um, yeah, I think now that I'm looking at this cover, it looks familiar. Like I've seen it somewhere, but mm, okay. All right. I don't have any more. Okay. Um, I kind of cheated on one that I pick, I have like two more, but I only talk about one of them. Um, Cause, well, okay, whatever. Um, <laughs> sorry, I just had an internal conversation with myself that y'all didn't need to be privy to. Uh, so 
the last one that I will talk about, I guess, um, is a book that I really cannot say enough good things about. And I've probably talked about this on this show at least three times. Um, but it's called The Book of Dead Birds by Gail Brandeis. Mm -hmm. And it is a mother-daughter story. Mm -hmm. And um, the mother is uh, an Asian immigrant from Korea. The daughter is half black. Um, and so the story um, begins, it's called The Book of Dead Birds because um, the mother, Helen, um, always had a pet bird and her daughter ended up killing all of these different birds, not on purpose, um, but in some inadvertent way <laughs> over the course of her life. Mm -hmm. And so um, when we get to know her, she is now like in her mid twenties, mid to late twenties. And she hears about this like crazy environmental uh, crisis. I think there was like a, uh, either it was like an oil spill or some kind of poisoning um, of this area in San Diego called the salt. I mean, I'm sorry, it wasn't in San Diego. She was from San Diego. Um, this area in California near this body of water called the Salton Sea where, um, like all of these birds were essentially in danger. And so she decides to go there to help save the birds to sort of atone for um, all of her mother's birds that she killed throughout her lifetime. Um, but in doing that, she also is sort of trying to find herself um, and how she fits into the world. And um, the mother, she's learning a bit more about her mother and what happened uh, with her mother in Korea and how her mother and her father eventually met and how her mother came to um, America. Mm -hmm. And so um, that there is some race stuff in here um, because I, I don't know if I should say that because it might be a spoiler, but okay. nevertheless, um, the mother comes to America as the bride of uh a white American soldier. Mm -hmm. But I told y'all that Ava is half black. Okay. So um, there was obviously a disconnect there that I'm not going to go into how or why it happened. But um, essentially her mother raises Ava as a single mom. And we learn more about that as the story progresses. And so it kind of um, shifts back and forth between mother and daughter's perspectives in within different eras of time. Uh, from the present in this book to the past. And um, it essentially is just a girl who was lost trying to find her way and who ends up finding it by sort of looking back at history mm -hmm. um, to see how they've gotten to the places that they are now. So, right yeah. The Book of Dead Birds by Gail Brandeis. All right. I don't have nothing else. Do you have another one? Um, not worth mentioning. Not okay. because it, whatever. Okay, gotcha. This has been the best that I could do. No. We, <laughs> um, would, I'd like to do this again. I think, like, maybe for the South, we would probably have to, what, break it down? Yeah, we would probably have to um, break it down by regions. And tweet us if you know more um, West Coast 
writer. But this really wasn't about writers from the West Coast. It was more about um, books set there in the West Coast. So if you can think of other ones, and feel free specifically to if you can think of any books set in Oregon, Washington, or Utah. I could, but they were none I wanted to talk about. Right. So like I should fifth, probably the, clarify. <laughs> Good books. Fifty <laughs> Shades books. Um, no, Girl, there was Twilight. Um, <laughs> Twilight. There was like Snow Falling on Cedar, and there was like Infinite Jest. <laughs> there was mm. some other white nonsense that I didn't. <laughs> so I just didn't list them, but. Yeah, let us know if you know, especially books by Af- Black women um, that take place in Oregon. I would be most interested in. But I would take Seattle, but I used to live in that area, and I don't. I can't think of anybody. I'm sure I'm probably oh, missing wait. somebody. The girl major. fell from the sky. I think parts of that were set okay. in Oregon. Because hmm. I know okay. that's where Heidi grew up. So anyway, yeah, y'all let us know, and we'll pick another probably. You can't just like do New York. You'd have to do like Brooklyn. You could probably do New York, but you couldn't do like the South. Right. Yeah. You have to do like Georgia. Anyway, that's all. What? We have another segment. Yeah, last one. Zoo, zoo, zoo. Do you Your have anything? One. Are you reading? Um, What's happening? What are you reading? I am not reading. Okay. So, yeah. That's that. Probably won't I be reading time. What are you reading? <laughs> I am reading... Um, I am in Capstone City. So I am don't have textbooks to read anymore. Praise Jesus. Um, <laughs> so I decided I'm going to do one of my favorite things and that's three books um i am reading actually rereading breath breath eyes memory excuse me breath eyes memory i um bought that book at half price books like a while ago and i was like i'm gonna read this again and i didn't and now i am so (laughs) (laughs) if you don't know what breath eyes memory is about then look it up online. It's your life together. Um, It's about one of our favorite things to talk about here on Better Than the Movie, mother-daughter relationships. (laughs) We have a whole episode about it, I promise. It's just, you just can't do enough with it, you know? You really can't, Um, there's so many dynamics. um, A brief synopsis for those who have never read it, because I I always like to do these, because I always make an assumption that our audience has read the same things or are familiar with the books and we pick up new people all the time. And mm-hmm. so I don't want to make assumptions, but also remember I went to that reading with Brett, B- Brett Bennett and the guy interviewing her was like, I just never had read a book about black people that didn't have to do with race and dealing with white people. And Brett was like, we have, that's not all we do. <laughs> our lives are so much more exciting than just trying to deal with y'all. So anyway, um, Breath Eyes Memory is a book about, when did she write this? She was probably 20 something. Yeah, she was in like her late 20s. Okay. No, she was in like her late 20s because I think it was posted. Okay, so this was also an Oprah book. So, you know, it was good. No, I'm just kidding. So anyway, (laughs) 
Um, at the age of 12, Sophie is sent from her impoverished of Croix de Rose. I'm sure that the Haitian community will tell me I said that wrong, but um, to New York to be reunited with the mother she barely remembers. There she discovers secrets that no child should ever know and a legacy of shame that can be healed only when she returns to Haiti to the woman who first reared her. What ensues is a passionate journey through a landscape charged with the supernatural and scarred by political violence in a novel that bears witness to the traditions, suffering, and wisdom of an entire people. Um, so, yeah, this book just starts strong, as do all of her books. Mm -hmm. So it ain't no, this started slow. It took me a minute in her books. It's just like, you're okay, let's get into it. She's really good about that. So... Um, if you've read it, it's worth the read again. If you've never read it, you should give it a try. Um, yeah. But I'm back to reading a lot. Of, I'm going to put nonfiction down because I had some fiction books going and I was like, oh, this is too many. I'm tired of facts. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm going to go back to reading fiction exclusively for a while. So, yeah, that's it. Nice. We got an episode in the can. Don't look for us again for two weeks. We love y'all. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> That's it. Bye.